Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, The Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us for episode 55, our guest A.L. Brooks. Hello and welcome hello. to Book Lovers Companion. Hello, hello. Hello. It's lovely it, to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on our show. You are well versed in doing podcasts, as we have said before we started <laughs> the recording. Done a few, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or as we say in German, ein alter Hase. Or would it be Hesin? Ah, we don't know. Was weiß ich. Was weiß ich. Uh, uh, exactly. Who knows? Okay. You live in Frankfurt. But before that, you've also lived in Aberdeen and Australia. Mm -hmm. hmm? You're originally I from... I have indeed. Yeah, you're originally from London. Not quite, but yeah, I lived most of my life in London. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you love really dark chocolate. I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we opted for a 85% one, but we are yes, we're not going to mention the fact that you're eating dark chocolate in front of me when I don't yeah, have any. Sorry. That's yeah, yeah. We won't. We won't also <laughs> mention that we all we are drinking rum as well in front of you. So <laughs> we never said it. You also like craft beer, and most importantly, and the reason why we are here, why we are talking, is that your new book is out, Chasing Dreams. Yes, yes. Out last week, out this week on, well, by the time listeners hear this, it will be out on Amazon. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not your first book, is it? I mean, you have quite <laughs> quite a number of books under your belt, Indeed. haven't you? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that is quite amazing to myself, actually. Mm -hmm. Now, let me, let me uh, list them for our listeners. There is The Club, Miles Apart, Dark Horse, The Long Shot, Write Your Own Script, Never Too Late for Heroes, Up on the Roof, Dare to Love, A Heart to Trust and The Club Revisited. So far I have read Up on the Roof, which I enjoyed tremendously. And Good. The Teacup has read another one. Which one did you read, Teacup? Write your own script. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. That's a nice one. Yeah. Well, Up on the Roof was also a nice one. <laughs> lot, a lot happened in Up on the Roof. Oh, poor woman. <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, in that one I really I did, I did feel a bit mean giving her all that to deal with but <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was to be honest and two of them at least that's what I found have been translated into German as well yeah that is correct up on the roof and dare to love genau. mm -hmm. so let's talk about chasing dreams tell us about this book what was the idea what about your characters as much as you can tell us without giving too much away of <laughs> without course. too many spoilers yes yeah. okay <laughs> so chasing dreams is a an enemies to lovers romance it's set in a myth made up town in Oregon in the US called Eagle Cove where Ruby the local librarian who is beloved by everybody in the town has been saving very hard to buy an old abandoned ranch where she's going to hopefully set up an animal shelter because she has looked after animals her entire life and she loves them. But waltzing into town, unbeknown to Ruby, is Claire, who has until very recently been a venture capitalist in the finance markets in New York. Hmm. She's a little bit of an ice, little bit of an ice queen, a <laughs> um, little bit crispy on the outside. And she has had a dream for a while now to open a women-only guest house in some beautiful part of the country. And she's done a lot of hiking and she loved the Oregon hills around Crater Lake and the Pacific Crest Trail. So unbeknown to Ruby, Claire buys this ranch house, the one that Ruby had wanted. And for Claire, it's a bit of a baptism of fire because she's never lived in a small town. She spent her entire life in New York. And as much as she's visited small towns and loved them, of course, living somewhere is quite different. As we were talking earlier, it's quite different <laughs> to live somewhere, but it is to visit as a tourist yep. and of course she's effectively stolen in inverted commas this property from the beloved ruby <laughs> so she has her work cut out for her to not only oh. make friends with the rest of the town but to actually get ruby to even talk to her and give her the time of day but of course the more they do talk the more they realize there's a little bit of a spark between them dot 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 ah <laughs> do they just talk or do they also you know fight, fight? there's definitely some fighting But, yes. but no beach yeah. slapping. 
No, nothing like that. No physical fighting. <laughs> there's a lot of lot of words exchanged and there's a lot of snarkiness and there's mm. a lot of bad temper from Ruby because she's so mad at Claire for stealing mm. this homestead. And then, of course, you know, this is only a tiny spoiler. Ruby realises actually what she's really mad at is herself because mm. she waited too long to follow her dream. Mm. So it's all about... Following your dreams and being bold enough to follow them and taking your opportunities when they come. Mm. And this one is set in the United States, like you said. It is, yeah. Uh, that's quite a different setting, I mean, from the one I read and from the one the teacup read. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've written books in various, I mean, I've written one set in Australia, Dark Horse. I've written half a dozen or so in the UK and another three or four, whatever it is now I'm up to in the US. Mm -hmm. And I basically, I choose the location. The location often is secondary to mm -hmm. the story and the characters, but it also plays a key role. So for example, Chasing Dreams, I could have set that in the UK. Mm -hmm. I could have set it in a very small town in the UK, but I really needed the remoteness of mm -hmm. where this town is and the fact that it is super small and it's set in this amazing wilderness. And it just, does, it just seemed that that would be a little bit easier to do if it was set in mm -hmm. the vastness mm -hmm. of America, because, you know, America is significantly mm -hmm. bigger than the UK. Whereas write your own script, that to me was when I thought of the character of Tamsin Harris, she was always a British actress mm. and it was always going to be set in England as a result. Other things, yeah, I mean, some books I could have transposed between the UK or the US, I think quite easily. But for me, it's always about where the story comes from. I mean, for example, Chasing Dreams literally started from one scene that popped into my head out of nowhere one day when I was sitting working and I had to write this scene down on my phone before I forgot it. And it's a scene at the very beginning where Claire gets the phone call from her real estate agent saying, I think I found you the perfect property. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know why. I have no idea why, but this scene popped into my head of someone who was really stuck in their job, who was really fed up with their corporate mm -hmm. lifestyle. Mm -hmm suddenly being given the phone call from someone they had tasked with finding them this property mm -hmm. and this person saying, I found it and how that would mm -hmm. instantly change your life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what popped into my head. And then a whole book came out of it. Mm -hmm. so. yeah, mm -hmm. She has already taken the first step in asking someone to find. Yes, she place. has. Yeah. Yeah. She's known this is what she wants to do, but she's still stuck in this career in New York and she's quite high up and she's quite high paid and she has no time. She spends her entire life in meetings. Mm -hmm. So, It's again, it's again the thing about how much effort do you need to put into finding your dream? Mm. You know, she's been sitting back earning all this money, having this dream, but not mm. doing it, and eventually thinks, do you know what? I need to get on with this, but still accepts that she can't do all of it herself. So mm. she hires someone to help her, you know, find the she's in that, you know, privileged position where she can do that. She can hire someone, you know, mm. to do the searching for her and find the property for her. There is the other person is the one that doesn't make the step to actually change her life. So they cash because yeah. of that, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a very personal question, I suppose, mm -hmm. because you also work in the financial sector yourself. Yeah. Would, would you say that is something occasionally that you experience yourself, that you earn money, but you have no time spending it for yourself? What is it good for? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll be... Yeah, I've be perfectly honest I'm kind of stuck in that frame of mind at the moment I I've worked a very long time I've always worked in finance generally and I'm at that age now and stage of my life where I would love to just give all that up I'd actually love to write full-time but <laughs> I don't earn enough of the writing full-time to make up for the money that I would earn in finance and it's kind of this catch-22 mm. you still need to pay the bills you still need to eat <laughs> you know, kind of important things. And yeah, unfortunately, I'm not in that position. I don't have that luxury to do that. I am considering some of my options. And, you know, I'm hoping in the next few years that I can make some of those come about. Mm. But yeah, I mean, a lot of that was that part of Claire's story was definitely coming from a bit of personal feeling about what it's like to be working in that corporate world for that long and mm. feeling like, well, is this all I'm ever going to do? Mm. You know, something has to change. Mm. Um, and yeah, I wrote it that Claire was lucky enough that she could make it change. Mm. And which character was easier to write? Maybe both of them were. But which character for you was easier to write or get into? Claire, since um, she has quite a few things in common with you, or Ruby? Yeah, both for different reasons. Claire, because of the commonalities and having that, you know, and... I mean, I realize there's a theme in a lot of my books. I do write people who work in an office environment because I know that. I've mm. done that for mm. 
however many years I've done it now. Um, so I often write characters who work in the corporate environment. So in that respect, Claire was easy to write. And also that idea about wanting to chase your dream and realise your dream was easy for me to write for Claire. But equally, Ruby was easy to write because she's such a nice spirit. It's lovely to write a character like that who has such a heart of gold. Yes, she's got a temper. But, you know, and she's such a caring person. And she, Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it's not a spoiler. She looks after her grandpa, who she lives Mm -hmm. with, Ned. And writing that emotion from her, how she feels about her grandpa and how she feels about living with him and looking after him was just lovely to write, to really, really get into that. Like, Mm. I don't have any living grandparents anymore, but to get into how would it feel to Mm. look after a grandparent and and stay with them all that time. was super fun to write. So since we both have not yet uh, read this book, would you say that her grandpa is a sort of golden boy? A what? Sorry? A, a sort of golden boy, a bit like, let's say, Betty White-like golden girl, oh, golden boy kind yes. of type? Yeah, he is. He's very much, he's not the Betty White character, though. He's more like the V. Arthur character, Dorothy. He's very, yeah, he doesn't take any prisoners. And he, he tells Ruby exactly how it is. Yeah, he's... Oh. Uh, He's, he was good fun to write. I mean, I always love writing um, elderly relatives. I've written them in quite a few of my books. And I love them because they've got no filters anymore. And, just, and I'm like, that's how I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and you can have so much fun with that. Yeah. So much fun because, you know, that. yeah, they're just happy to say what they want to say. And exactly. And they don't care about the consequences. Yes, and yes. It's brilliant. Something you know. to look forward to um, when we're getting old. Yes, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. To say what you want to say, just give a hmm about it. Yeah. yeah, give a toss about it. I'm totally going to be wheeling around on my electric wheelchair just giving it. Just, I can't wait. <laughs> you said you needed, more or less, you needed the, the setting of the remoteness of uh-huh. the United States. Mm-hmm. Did you feel, I mean, the connection between setting it in the United States and making those characters American. Was that difficult or did it feel easy? Because, I mean, you are European, so are we. I mean, yeah. get, in, get into the heads of someone who has the experience of being American. Yeah, I mean, obviously I've been exposed to a lot of American you know, TV, film, media for my entire life. I mean, pretty much most of what I grew up watching on TV was American. That doesn't mean I can understand the American experience particularly, but it gives you a kind of good head start. But I'm very fortunate in that two of my beta readers are American. So one of their tasks each time is to pick up on whether I am speaking with an American voice. Am I, am I, grabbing the Mm. nuances of being American versus being British and they've been brilliant at that educating me and you know the the thinking of Americans and and the phrasing of Americans and you know just general culture like there's a scene this is not a spoiler there's a scene in the book where Ruby is in the local diner having lunch and I had originally written it that she was sharing her booth with two hikers who had just come off the trail And it wasn't until my American beta readers got hold of it. They said, you do realize Americans would never do that. We do not share tables with strangers. And I was like, I did not know that. <laughs> Because in Britain, if there was the only two spaces left in a cafe was at another table, you'd go, excuse me, do you mind if I sit here? And yeah. they'd go, no, it's fine. Yeah. But apparently not in America. Huh. So I just had to gently, you know, easily reword that. But this is the kind of thing that I would mm-hmm. never know from a cultural mm. perspective. And that's where beta readers and to a, to a further extent, sensitivity mm. readers are incredibly important when you're writing outside of your known area, mm. whether that's geographical mm. or sexual orientation or mm. race, whatever it is. So, yeah, I'm quite lucky with that. <laughs> And has there been another surprise for you? except from the table sharing, which you never thought of? Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but Mm -hmm. if I do, I'll come back Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. And what about the language? I mean, you have the supposedly same language, the same with Germany as Germany (laughs) and Austria, but uh, upon a closer look, you realize... Obviously, yeah, (laughs) obviously there's some differences. Yeah, it's things like the piece of concrete on the side of the road we call a pavement americans Mm. call it a sidewalk Mm. but again from being exposed to so much american Mm. culture a lot of those words in my head anyway Mm -hmm. even if we wouldn't use them on a daily basis but there's always going to be some there's always this 
this word that Americans use, which is just so wrong to my English ears, but I know it's very American, which is instead of saying she looked at the book she had got yesterday, she looked at the book she had gotten yesterday. So mm-hmm. gotten, G-O-T-T-E-N. It's mm-hmm. just not in, in British English, but it is very much in mm-hmm. American English. And having to keep remembering to use that instead. And I keep getting cat- caught out and my beta readers keep going, you know, in their word version of my document, you need to change this to gotten, you need to change this to gotten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it just it was that's one thing that's just never gonna stick in my, my yeah. British head, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Well through me, once when I uh, wrote a fan fiction story and I used the mm-hmm. word rubber. Oh yeah. Yeah, throwing a rubber. <laughs> and you meant an eraser, didn't you? <laughs> Not a condom. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I thought, uh, what's wrong yeah. with the word? That's how I learned it. I mean, I'm, I'm not a native speaker of English, but that's what we learned at school. We learned British English, so I used it yeah. correctly, I might yeah. add. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, for the situation. But yeah, yes. the American readers understood it in a different way. Yes, exactly. Yes. It was an <laughs> eye-opener. Regarding the language in this book, is only the direct spoken uh, language um, American? Or the complete book? The complete book. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever I set, and it's the same, I think, for a lot of novelists, whenever you set a book in America, you really need the entire tone to be from America. Same as if you wrote a book in Australia, you need Mm -hmm. to write with an Australian mindset, Mm -hmm. with the sort of the phrasing of Australia. And I I could do that with Dark Horse because I lived in Australia in Mm -hmm. total for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. So I definitely had picked up on, you know, how Australians spoke and how they would phrase things. And I also wanted to ask you, is there also an age gap in this story or not at all? No. Not really, mm-hmm. no. I think Ruby's, I think I, I haven't actually said Ruby's age, but she's around 37 mm. and Claire's around 42, 43. Mm. So it's not much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said there, there was this scene that came to you all of a sudden, it popped up in your head yeah. and, and, and you knew that that's it. Are you, that's, that's the question, are you a planner? <laughs> or a panther? <laughs> oh, it kind of depends. <laughs> <laughs> Some stories come to me in a way in my head that I don't actually have to plot it out and mm. write it out scene by scene. Uh, write your own script was a good example of that one. That one fell out of my head mm. in about two and a half months without writing down hardly any notes whatsoever. Chasing Dreams, I did do a plot for because I was going through a really busy time with the pandemic and with work and was mm-hmm. feeling that maybe plotting would help me mm. focus and and similarly with the one I just finished writing my next one which comes out next year I did it that's the most detailed I've ever mm. plotted a book I loved the story that I wanted to put together but I was definitely feeling the effects of the pandemic in terms mm. of mental health and feeling quite stressed and I thought if I don't plot this out and actually make this make sense up mm-hmm. front I'm going to write garbage <laughs> um, so Yeah, and I mean, yeah, some books I've not plotted at all and I've been really happy with the result. Only once did I plot something and deviated completely and <laughs> conversely, only once have I not planned something and then got halfway through and gone, this is so not working, I need mm-hmm. to plot this out again and had to rewrite chunks of it because mm-hmm. it just just trying to write it off, off the bat was not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it does depend on what the story idea is and whether I've, how much it's kind of, seems to be already in my head and therefore mm-hmm. I can just get it out mm-hmm. without actually having to sometimes it's just a case of scribbling you know this is the beginning this is the middle this is the end and then mm-hmm. I'm just going to join them up and of course often the characters take over and I'm mm. not the only author who's said this it's just mm. you start writing and, and you're in the middle of a scene and suddenly it goes off in a different direction and you're like where did that come from but yeah. that's where the characters went and it when you've read it you're like yeah that totally makes sense that's yeah. much better than what I originally thought I would do with this scene so yeah. Over the last years, at least one book was published each year. Mm. Were some of them already written or are you that fast? No, I'm generally that fast. The only one that we got ahead of the game with was The Club Revisited. I actually wrote that. I'd actually only just finished writing that and Ilva said there was a slot that could open up for it. That was the quickest I've ever got one out to market. I mean, I literally wrote it in a couple of months at the beginning Mm. of last year and we got it out at the end of last year. The others... I mean, in the beginning, when I was first writing, I had no idea if I was even going to get published. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just wrote stuff and then said to Ilva, here it is. <laughs> Do you like it? <laughs> <laughs> Now we worked slightly better schedule, slightly more <laughs> professional. <laughs> Now I know my next one is going to be published next March, but mm-hmm. I've only just finished writing it because we've had that kind of schedule that we've mm-hmm. been working mm-hmm. towards. 
Mm-hmm. Other things, I mean, I've got a few stories that I've already started and I've got two or six chapters written in them and I kind of know where they want to go. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, the mood has not continued with that one. So I've set it to one side and I'll probably come back or I may not, mm-hmm. you know. And it could be that, I mean, one year, was it 2019? Yes, when I first moved to Frankfurt, I didn't work for the first year. I took a year out because I really needed a break. And I needed to settle into the country and learn some of the language. And, and I actually sat and wrote two and a half books in that year, which was a lot. And I'm not sure I'd do that again, even if I was writing full time, because that was a bit full on. But it did mean that I had a lot of material that then I could hand over to my publisher and we could schedule mm-hmm. you know, some publishing mm-hmm. dates for. And it's why I ended up with two books quite close together when Never Too Late for Heroes came out and Dare to Love came out a couple of months later. It just That was the best way it worked mm-hmm. for them. And they were already written. So let's do it. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah, sorry. my job's got, sorry, my job's just got busier the last year mm-hmm. now that I do work. And so my writing time is less. So I think it's yeah. always going to be a case now of sort of one a year is what's going to happen but it'll be something that I've planned well in advance mm. you know and I also wanted to ask you about being a published author by a publishing house we had mm-hmm. a lot of indie authors on our show yes I uh, listened to your one that you did with KJ where she talked about the <laughs> process for her yeah it yeah. was a, it was great talking to her it was fun yeah uh, she's lovely yeah. yeah she is absolutely and I I ask. I think I have to ask her the same question. Did you send out your manuscripts to publishing houses, or did they just like for her come to you? No, kind of a completely different story actually. So I first wrote what turned out to be two of the chapters of the club back in 2014. It was my first time of writing again after many many years. Mm-hmm. I had been completely blocked and not interested and then I was off work sick with a chest infection for Mm. three weeks and I don't know why the idea popped into my head but it suddenly did and the next Mm. thing I knew I'd written 6,000 words of the first chapter of the club and then I had written two chapters and I happened to see on Facebook a few months later that Ilva Publishing were going to be represented at a an author's event author reader event in England up Mm -hmm. near Manchester funnily enough and that they would be having open pitch sessions. You could bring your manuscript along and someone would look at it and give you some ideas. You know, was it any good? Were you completely insane to think that you could be a writer? Please go away. You know, um, <laughs> no, I'm sure they wouldn't have ever said that to anybody. But I thought, well, I like what I've written, and I lit- but I literally have no idea if it's worth publishing. At that point, I was thinking I'd publish it myself because mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine a publisher picking me up because I was kind of out of nowhere. But I booked myself a slot for this open pitch session and they said to me, that's great. Any chance, have you got anything written that you could send us in advance and we'll just have a little read through beforehand before we meet you? So I sent them the two chapters and I said, this is kind of what I'm working on, something a little bit sexy. (laughs) Um, And so I went to the event and actually who I was who I was paired with was Andrea Bramwell, who Mm -hmm. is another Ilva author who's written various mysteries and Mm -hmm. fabulous things. And I nearly fell off my chair because she sat down and she said, this is brilliant. We love it. And I went, what? (laughs) I I mean, I honestly went there thinking they would say, well, you know, it's kind of a nice idea, but you really need to work on this and you need to do that. And I genuinely thought that. I never for a minute thought that I would walk out of there with basically the promise of a publishing contract because that's what I got. Mm. They said, can you turn this into a novel? Can you give us... 60,000 words instead of the 10,000 that you'd written. Mm -hmm. And I went, yeah, pretty sure I can. (laughs) And off I went. And that was it. That's how I got published. Great. And that was just the most amazing experience because, as I say, I was all geared up to just push it out on Kindle myself, you Mm. know, on Amazon and just see what happened. Mm. I didn't didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about editors or copy Mm. editors or cover designers, proofreaders, Mm. none of it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, the next thing I know, I've got a publishing contract. <laughs> and the rest, as they yeah. say, is yes, history. history. Yeah, <laughs> it is indeed. Twelve books later, here we are. Yeah, yeah exactly. And also, sorry. You started, it seems, before erotica. And then you turned to romance. Is, was this planned or just the way it turned out? or uh, Not planned, just a case of what came into my head. As soon as I'd finished writing the club, I had the idea to write something set in Australia as a little homage to my time in Australia because I absolutely loved living there and I didn't have any ideas at the time for anything that was pure erotica again Mm. and obviously by that time I'd got to know lots of other authors I'd been to a couple of events and it was very obvious 
excuse me, but people were writing all sorts of stuff. And I was reading avidly. I mean, I'd only just rediscovered lesbian fiction a couple of years before, having been a huge fan of it when I first came out of the closet 25 years before, and then for various reasons didn't read it again. And I was devouring all these different genres, the romance, the fantasy, the erotica, crime, mystery, anything except horror, basically. I'm not a fan of horror at all. <laughs> and I loved all these romances. And I sat there, after I'd finished the club, I started thinking, I think I could write a romance now, you know. And then the idea for Dark Horse came to me and I sat down and wrote it and it all published it. And I was like, okay, I can write a romance. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so now, I mean, I've written mostly romances, but I do have other ideas for eroticas. I mean, erotica is not a big selling market. It's a niche within mm. a niche. I mean, mm. romance is the big thing. I do love writing romances. But I'll be honest, there's a lot of time where I feel like I'm writing romances because I know that's what's going to sell. Mm. It's not that I don't enjoy what I'm writing, but it's just if you want to sell books, you need to write romance. That's yeah. just the way of the world. But I'm fortunate because my publisher loves my erotica as well. So I get to publish that as well. Do you feel or are you afraid that you get pigeonholed? I did worry about that. And I wonder if that's subconsciously why I didn't write the sequel to the club for as long as I did, because I think there was a lot of people that felt The erotica was the way I would go. And I think I kind of wanted to prove that it wasn't everything about me, which is why I did write, mm -hmm. you know, quite a few more romances before I wrote the erotica. Yeah. But at the same time, I always wanted to bring the sexy stuff into my romances. I mean, that's just <laughs> who I am. That's what I write. There's literally only one book that has not got any sex in it, which is Never Too Late for Heroes. Mm. It didn't fit that story. It just wasn't necessary. Um, but all of my other romances are definitely going to have sex scenes in them all the time. And, you know, I know I've got a nice name for myself for writing good sexy scenes. So why not put them into the romances? But yeah, I am actually with hindsight glad that I held off on writing the sequel to the club as long as I did. Because I think if I'd have pushed that out my sec as my second book, mm -hmm. I think then I would have been pigeonholed as an erotica. Mm. And then I think it would have been harder to break into the romance market. Yeah. Yeah. Now I feel like I've got a really nice balance as being known for good romances as well as good erotica, ah. which is great. Is there a genre within the lesbian community you would like to explore? You said you're not a fan of horror, but are there other genres that tickle your interest? I definitely like the idea of writing something crime-related, and I do actually have an idea for that. But it would take a huge amount of research to do it properly for the mm. story that I have in mind. And I have no time for that research right now. Mm. So that is definitely going to have to wait until something changes with my working situation, mm. i.e. I retire or I manage to cut down my hours somehow or I win the lottery, which is my grand plan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> plan A is win the lottery. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I definitely like to dabble in crime. And, I mean, I, I grew up, I say grew up, my late teens, early 20s, mid-20s, was I was, all I read was sci-fi fantasy, in particular mm. high fantasy. So the David Eddings books, The Belgariad and The Malarian, Tolkien, The Lord mm. of the Rings, obviously. Oh, huge numbers of books that I can't even remember now. But I just, I literally read fantasy for about eight years and nothing else. And yeah, there's a part of me that thinks, God, wouldn't it be fun to write one of those? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I could write a series, but like a standalone. Mm -hmm. But have it totally queer, obviously. Um, and, you know, the men would definitely be secondary to the women. Not that I, you know, Fine. not against men, but I just feel like there's so there's so many fantasy books that are male-centered that mm -hmm. it's so nice to see mm -hmm. female-centered ones yeah. really making a play in the market now. And I'd love to add to that. So, yeah, you never know. Mm. You never know. Something like Chainway or No Way. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> What yeah, I mean, I love, for example, I love Fletcher Delancey's series. Yeah. You know, the Alcia Chronicles, I just think is awesome. And it's so female-centered. And yeah, I love it. Yeah, so. I have to start on that one because I've read her fan fiction series she had. Uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah. was great. That was a great yeah. series. So those I, books, there's, I think there's 10 of them now. And yeah. they're literally just I'm awesome. I'm way behind. Yeah. Not, I have not even started number one. It's up there on the shelf. <laughs> for some time now, yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, for some time now. It's this time. Oh, flies. Shop yes. get in the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, same here. Real life tends yeah. to get yeah, in the way. we should start playing the lottery. Yeah. 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 Yes, we should definitely should. <laughs> yeah. Come to think of it. 
Absolutely. And you said uh, you would be interested in crime writing and uh, mm -hmm. you had you would have to do a lot of research. So would that be, if you really would try that, would it be settled completely in the lesbian genre or have you also thought about writing crime fiction and giving your character a lesbian background, just like with Murray? Yeah, I think it would be more along those lines that it, the lesbian, there obviously would be a lesbian character. I'm just going to put that in because that's mm. me. That's yeah, what yeah. I want to write. But the fact that she's lesbian is kind of going to be secondary to the actual story yeah. of the crime. Yeah, I mean, I like reading both. I love reading good crime books where it mm. just so happens that the leading woman is queer. And mm. equally, I love reading mainstream crime mm. books as long as the crime story is really well written. Mm. I don't actually need... For me, I don't need a romance in my crime books. Mm. I know a lot of people still want to see a romance in there. I don't necessarily mm. need that. I like to read a good mystery that mm. keeps me mm. ticking along. Yep. But I will say I love it if the main protagonist happens to be a queer woman because then I just feel a little bit more, it's a bit more relatable mm. for me. Mm. So, yeah. 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 Since you've been writing for quite a while and you are, again, a published author with a lot of books under your belt. What about <laughs> the crime writing community? What about your experience? Are there any experiences? Are they good? Are they not so good? Or if any, if any at all? Because uh, one of our guests, J.E. Leak, said she was glad to have this community, to have found them and to exchange okay. ideas and such. Yeah, it's not something I've even looked into yet because mm. I feel like I'm so far off from writing this book. It really is on the back burner that it's not something I've looked into. But I do know that it is a very big community and I do know it's a very supportive community. Mm -hmm. So if I ever get the time or the energy to actually delve into that, then, yeah, I would absolutely be reaching out mm. to that community for just not necessarily begging for advice, but just to, to observe what everyone else is going through and what they're talking about. I mean, I've definitely limited myself at the moment for want of a better word just within the lesbic community the sapphic community because that's just what i want to write mm -hmm. right now and it's what i'm loving writing but yeah i mean same with if i ever want in, went into writing a fantasy book then i would definitely be looking into the fantasy mm -hmm. community to see if there's you know what kind of support and help you can get there mm -hmm. i mean my experience of the sapphic community is that we all are very supportive and it's brilliant i love it it's you know i, I love being part of that, mm -hmm. that we're always happy to offer advice to new people coming into this you know there's so many times you see a post in a facebook group where someone says oh I'm new to writing and I'm not quite sure should I use Scrivener or Word or something else <laughs> and you get like 53 responses from people going oh well I use this one and it does this and this and this and this the other one going yeah that's really good but I use this and it's like this poor woman just put this little post in and got this massive great response back but isn't that fabulous because then she's got loads of advice about mm. how to get started with a particular piece of software Mm. Never mind anything else about the writing process. Mm. Because we all seem to want to just encourage everybody. Mm. And I think that's fabulous. I love that, that there's next to no competition in our community. It's all supportive. Mm. And that's just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And what about um, um, meeting people in person? I mean, it has been on the mm. back burner the last few years because yep. <laughs> we all know why that <laughs> is. But, yes. but before Come that back. and in the future, I mean... I, yeah, I've done quite a few events and I absolutely love it. I love meeting people face to face, other authors and readers. I mean, I fangirled over so many people when I, <laughs> I went to one GCLS con in 2018. I went to Las Vegas and I just sat in this room and I was like, okay, I'm here as an author. And I had like, I don't know, five books, four books published by then. So some people knew who I was and that was lovely. But mostly I was there as a fangirl. I was at the <laughs> signing session. At, we did the signing session at the last day where all the authors sit around a big room in alphabetical order. And I found myself sat next to George Beers. And I'm just sitting there going, it's George Beers. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was just brilliant. You know, you just think, God, I've come out of nowhere. And I'm sat next to these people who've been writing. I actually got to meet my, I don't know, not hero, that's not the right word, but my inspiration, if you like. I got to meet Catherine V. Forrest. Mm. She wrote Curious Wine, yes. the first book, the first lesbian fiction book I ever read when I was fresh out of the closet. Curious Wine by Catherine V. Forrest. And it literally changed my life because it made me see myself on the page mm -hmm. and it made me realize that all the feelings I had and all the desires I had mm -hmm. were not wrong because mm -hmm. here was other people having exactly the same thing. 
And I got to meet her at the GCLS con. And I was, I just, well, I was nearly in tears. I was definitely in tears afterwards. I'm sure I babbled incessantly at her. And I'm probably, she probably thought, who is this mad British woman? I just, it was like to have that interaction with people is incredible. Absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. And yeah, I've done a few events and I can't wait for them to set up, start up again properly. I, unfortunately, I can't go to the GCLS con this year. And I'd really like to, because I think it'd be fantastic to meet everybody again now that traveling is so much easier. Mm. Um, but I do have a good excuse. I'm getting married. Mm. So. Congratulations. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> thank you. Next year, I definitely have GCLS in mind. And I know that my publisher has done events in Germany before pandemic times. Mm-hmm. In particular, the Leipzig Book Fair, as well as the Frankfurt Buchmesse. Um, oh, okay. So I hopefully there'll be an opportunity to do those again, maybe next year. Yes, because love the, it. yeah, because the the Frankfurt Buchmesse has been cancelled again. I think, hasn't it this year? I don't know. Frankfurt. Leipzig. I thought Frankfurt or yeah, Leipzig. I, I think Leipzig was cancelled. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, but yeah. I mean, I love it. I love me. I mean, I you know that's why I love doing podcasts and I love doing video Zoom things with people because. I just love that interaction with people. I love talking to other authors about what we do. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to readers as a reader as mm-hmm. well as as a writer. I mean, I mm-hmm. can talk about books all day to anybody, mm-hmm. you know. And I, you know, I've said this on my Facebook profile. If you want to connect with me, please do, because I love talking about books. Don't have to just talk about mine. We can talk about anybody else's. I'm, I'm a fan of so many writers and so many books that I'll happily talk about them all day. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, good. That, that's good to know. So you are welcome again anytime. <laughs> you feel like Absolutely. you feel like talking about books. Just yeah. say the yeah. word. Good, because it's, it's <laughs> nice to talk to someone about books who likes books. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you start talking about a book and you, you see, realize you, you see that glazed the books expression. Are you see them falling asleep in your yeah. head. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Should we just talk about soap opera? Then? Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. I don't watch much TV. I watch a few select programs that I've mm-hmm. had recommended to me and a few films. I mean, literally, if someone said to me, you can never watch TV again, I'd be like, okay. Mm-hmm. As long as I could still read a book, I really wouldn't care. Yep. I just, I love books that much. And I have done ever since I was a small child. I mean, I, I was an avid reader from the, the minute I could actually read. And to me, books are everything. Mm-hmm. They really are. They just take you so many different places. And yep. yeah, I, I love it. You're more involved when you read a book then compared to watching a show it's yeah it's funny i saw a really interesting quote today and i can't think who shared it on facebook but it was it just was it never even occurred to me before this person had had shared the quote from someone who said books are so amazing because to every single person who reads the same book they'll have a different experience Mm -hmm. they'll picture the characters in a different way they'll hear them in a different way and they'll have a completely different experience from You could have 10 people reading the same book in a room and they would all feel that book in a different way. And that's because, like you said, you're more involved in it. You, you have to sink yourself into it. Whereas TV and films, you're kind of a bit remote from yeah. somehow. Yeah. yeah. It's more someone else's vision than it is with the book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's also when you see um, a film or a TV show um, that's made after a book and then you read the book, mm-hmm. you always see the actors. Whereas when you read the book yeah. before that, uh, it's your own imagination. How they Absolutely. Look. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, there's quite often, I won't read, I won't want to watch the movie or TV mm. show of a book, especially if it's a book I've read because I'm so worried it's going to get spoiled. Mm. Yeah. And it's, or that it's just not going to be how I envisioned mm-hmm. it. Like you said, I'll have had this image in my head of how everything was. So there's a brilliant fantasy young adult fantasy series called The Darkest Rising by Susan Cooper. It was written 40 years ago, English writer. There's five books in the series. It's definitely aimed at like 12 to 15 year old kids, I'd say. I love it. I've read it half a dozen times. It's absolutely brilliant. They made one of them into a movie and I thought, oh, okay, I'll give it a try. I literally lasted five minutes before I had to switch it off because I was like, nope, this is not how this is supposed to be. This is not how the character looks like. It mm-hmm. was just, it was so wrong in my head because I love this book so much. So yeah, often I will not watch a film or movie based on a book. So what about Carol? I've never read the book. Ah. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> And it's funny yeah. because the first time I watched the film, I didn't enjoy it. And I watched it again before Christmas last year and I loved it. And I think I realized that the first time I watched it, I was going through a breakup of a long-term relationship. Mm. I was having a whole re-evaluation of life moment. And I realized that I wasn't in the right headspace to mm-hmm. appreciate the beauty of that story. 
And yet I watched it just before Christmas a few months ago and I cried my eyes out at the end and I absolutely loved it and I can't wait to watch it again. Mm. So, but whether I would like the book now, I don't know. Don't know. I've read the book before and when I read the book, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if it was a movie <laughs> and then... So did you like the movie then? Yeah. If you'd read yeah. the book? Yeah. Yeah. I did. One of the Good. few occasions. There are not many yeah. books, like you said, usually you are disappointed. Where I wasn't yeah. disappointed, uh, another book was The Color Purple. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Again, I've not read the book, but I love the film. Mm. Both are good. I think they've done it yeah. justice. And I have to say, since I, we love to read crime, also, okay, let's say, yes, the Miss Marple series with Joan Hickson. And again, oh, yeah. my, my all-time favorite also, <laughs> David Suchet as Poirot. Oh, it's Poirot, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was quite good, actually. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you a little bit about the German translation of your books. Uh-huh. Yep. How much, if at all, <clears throat> were you involved? Meaning um, the translator, did they come back to you and ask for phrases or backgrounds or nothing at all? Um, not for these two, no. Mm -hmm. um, there is another one being translated at the moment, and I and that's I I don't expect to have any involvement because mm -hmm. I don't speak German. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of trusting that they're going to do you know a good job. They're translators that Ilfra are using all the time for their German mm -hmm. books, so I assume that you know mm -hmm. there's a process there. Basically, as an English speaking writing author, we don't have any say in the German mm -hmm. translations because that's just. We wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. What I meant was, uh, insofar as, did the German uh, translator ask you for certain expressions, uh, clarifications, clarifications what you meant, oh, yeah. or something like that? No, no, that hasn't happened so far. And much the same way with the audiobooks, it's it's all sold under license to Tantor mm. to do the audiobooks. And so far, I've only had one audiobook narrator come back to me just to seek clarification on the mm. pronunciation of names, you mm. know, in the mm. book. But otherwise, no, no involvement. Mm. Um, okay. And I mean, I guess with being being with a publishing company, that is one of the things that you kind of lose, for want of a mm. better word. If you're self-published, I know that's one of the things KJ was talking about. You've got much more control over yeah. that because you're, you're the one doing the yeah. ordering and stuff. Mm. But I mean, you know, my publisher... They know what they're doing. I mm. leave them to do it and mm. trust them completely. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So they take, they also take care of the audio books, of the audio book versions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They mm. deal with the, with Tantor audio. And mm. I just, I just get the money. <laughs> mm. Okay. It, it's interesting because uh, when we spoke to CA for her audio book versions was interesting because she does it all on her own. I mean, she, she was looking wow. for the narrator and she also yeah. does it on her own money. Because it costs a lot, and I know I just can't imagine doing that. Because yeah, I know everyone talks about it costing at least two or three thousand yeah. to. But she she you know, wants get to started. be mm -hmm. very involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I can also understand that as well. Yeah, yeah. you know, you would they're your little babies. You get very protective of them. You don't want them to be ruined. Yeah. And I mean, I've just been so fortunate with the narrators I've had for my audiobooks. They've been fantastic. Mm. I've absolutely loved them. Yeah, mm. yeah. And since you have written and have been published, what would be your advice for any aspiring author, be it in the less fiction genre, be it in any other genre? <laughs> yeah, I've actually answered this question somewhere else and I'll say exactly the same again. Just write. Don't worry about whether you're writing anything brilliant and, and you know, you, you have to write the bestseller of all bestsellers in your first draft. You don't. Just, just write. Just write what's in your head, write what you want to write and get that first draft written. Then you can worry about polishing it up and whether it's, you know, got a cat in chapter three that you never mentioned again or a cat that suddenly appears in chapter 12 and <laughs> was never heard of. That's the sort of thing you can worry about afterwards. Just write what you want to write. Get it out of you. Get it down on paper. Get it writing. Because as soon as you get that flow going and get writing, you'll just have the most amazing experience. Mm. And don't worry about, oh, am I doing this right? Mm. Inverted commas. There's no right way to write. Mm. You just do it and then... You get some people to read it and they'll tell you whether it's working or not. Mm. And then you get some more people to read it, and, you know, and then it just flows. Mm. Can we not just say it was Schrödinger's cat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, something why like not? that. <laughs> <laughs> I did do that in the start of one of my books. I did, in, I did have the character having a cat and it was never mentioned again. And I got to the end of the book. I was like, oh, what happened to the cat? What did I <laughs> 
decided to go back and write the cat out because I couldn't put the cat back ah. in. It was just too complicated. So, the yeah. cat. Uh, let's just say the cat moved to another city or something like that. It happens. Yeah. We've well, all heard about it that. It presumably wasn't getting fed, so it's yeah. left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moves out. Yeah. yeah. And is there anything you would never touch upon in your books? I'm never going to touch non-consensual sex. That's mm -hmm. no, no. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine writing anything about sexual violence mm -hmm. other than perhaps alluding to that in mm -hmm. someone's past but I'm never going to write it on the page and yeah I'm never going to write horror I don't mm. like all that blood and gore business mm. that's not for me I, I don't I get it in a crime novel where you need to describe a murder mm -hmm. or a murder scene mm -hmm. that for me that's different but Horror where it's just, you know, like that Friday the 13th stuff and the movies, the slasher movies, mm. all that kind of stuff. Ooh, no, mm. never going to write that. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, I mean, I've, you know, I've written a book that had cheating in it and you're not supposed to write about cheating in the sapphic world. Um, oh, I didn't know so that. Thank you. Yeah. Ah. So there's some, there's definitely subjects that I will happily touch, mm. uh, you know, because I just think that they're reality and sometimes I know in a romance you want the lovely fantasy of the romance but I think uh, certainly for me a lot of my books are a little bit more realistic than that mm. I don't I don't write super fluffy stuff that's just not who I am I'll, I'll write a nice romance and they'll definitely have a happy ending mm. but it won't necessarily be fluffy because mm. I just yeah I just I, I enjoy writing the reality of people's situations I enjoy writing mm. the hard stuff they've gone through as well as the good stuff yeah so it takes a counterpoint to balance it yeah for me that's how it works i still love reading fluffy romances i'm you know there's some that i enjoy where i just think this is lovely i can totally escape in this for three or four hours and not worry about a thing yep. Yep. but that's not what i'm gonna write it's so. okay and if you ever write a mystery don't ever kill a dog or a cat <laughs> or any pet it's a no-no oh yes Good one, yes. Yes, yes, yes. we've heard no, that from that. a lot That's of honest. crime fiction authors. Uh -huh. Some yeah. did make Big that mistake. mistake. Never again. Nope. Shouldn't do that. That's <laughs> the end of it. I'll make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're allowed to kill a spider. Oh, yeah, spider. Oh, good. Okay. I'm not a fan of spiders. You can kill people. <laughs> yeah. Left, yeah. left and right. Enough, you can kill plenty of people, yes, but not dogs. But Never a dog or a cat, no, definitely not. I also wanted to ask you about um, what you wrote in Up on the Roof, because one of your characters comes from a minority group, Lena. Yes. Yeah. And did you did you speak beforehand to people from this? Oh yes. Yeah. 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 The whole idea for writing Lena actually came from a conversation I had. I was at a party and I ended up spending most of the evening with two two guys, one from Pakistan, one from India. And they lived in London and they were both facing huge pressure from their families to find the right girl. And they mm. kept being set up for arranged dates, not mm. arranged marriage, but arranged dates. Mm. And neither of them were out to their families and they couldn't ever imagine doing it. And they were seriously considering marrying some woman so they could get the pressure off of them and at the same time they were like but how can I do that you know how can I mm -hmm. so I, I had this really big very important evening with them learning this side of gay culture that I had not had any experience of before and I went into work the next day and I worked with a lot of British Indians and you know we were quite close we often did you know nights out and parties and lots of heart to hearts and stuff and I realized that I'd never even touched on this subject with them because I was obviously nervous about hitting a subject that I really wasn't in any place to talk about. I mean, I'm white. What would I know about any of this? But I mentioned to, to one of the women I work with and I said, you know, I naively assumed that arranged dates and arranged marriages were all a thing of the past in, in Britain. And she just laughed at me and said, no. <laughs> and proceeded to talk to me for an hour about, you know, what it was like for her and You know, then another Indian woman came over and she said, oh, what are you talking about? And we told you, oh, yes. She said, I could tell you some stories, you know, sort of thing. And I said, okay, I said, this is absolutely fascinating to me. And I'd love to actually base a character on this. But is that, is that my white privilege showing? Is that going too far? Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, my God, no. We could give you loads of information, you know. <laughs> yeah. And they were so helpful and so supportive of me writing this. And I thought, okay, they don't speak for the entire British Indian community. But they clearly trusted me mm -hmm. with this knowledge to to just you know 
write this story. And their support was amazing. And I, I clearly remember afterwards that I, you know, I, I was talking them through what I was writing. I didn't actually want them to read it and they weren't comfortable reading it because mm. it was lesbian, which mm. is really interesting. But I talked them through what was happening and they were correcting me and telling me yes, no, you know, things that I was writing. And then I remember after it was published, quite soon after it was published, I got an email from a woman. She said, I just want to thank you. She said, I know you're not Indian, she said, but you might as well have been for the way you wrote this book. She said, I'm British Indian and you absolutely got it right. And she said, this is my lived experience. And I can't thank you enough for putting this on the paper. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I love it. But I still say something like that with hindsight should be from own voices. I don't regret writing that book. I enjoyed it. But I'm very aware with everything that's happened in the last few years that ideally, there would be Indian writers coming forward, Pakistani writers coming forward, and they would be having their books published. And it wouldn't be a book written by a white woman about a British Indian woman. It would be written by a British Indian woman. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's really hard for women of colour to get published, to mm. get out there. Mm. Yeah. I just hope that's something that can be changed. I know there's a lot more focus on it these days, and quite rightly so. And I will mm. actively do whatever I can to help that happen. Do you think... Or would you say that within this very narrow um, writing community of lesbian authors, mm. there aren't, if at all, any Indian Pakistani writers? There are. There definitely are. Yeah. Uh, Shani Manir, Manir mm. I think I've pronounced that correctly. She had a book published by Ilva. She's from India. She lives mm. in India. It mm. was a fantastic book. I would highly recommend that. And there are. There are women of color out there. There are British Indian women. There are Indian women that, but I know that there is still this big, un, what's the word, unconscious bias in mm. publishing. Yeah. And I'm not saying that on any particular publisher in our world, but you hear so many stories about women of color trying to reach through to publishing houses mm. and publishing houses just don't read their manuscripts. And there is this unconscious bias. They, there's this position, this perception that it won't sell. Straight away, before mm. they've even read what it is, there's a perception, oh, well, yeah, see, that's going to be a little niche market, isn't mm. it? Well, so what? Yeah, mm. it's very hard. Mm. And it's so frustrating. I mean, it's, it's frustrating enough being a white cis lesbian trying to get a book published. I can't imagine what it's like for a person of colour or someone who's trans. It's just... Mm. And Angela, is that... Anything else you would like our listeners to know about future projects, past projects? <laughs> um, well, obviously, I'm hoping people will be reading Chasing Dreams by the time we broadcast this. And I would like to say that if anybody wants to talk to me about this book or any of mm -hmm. my books or wants to know what I'm working on in the future, you can follow me on Twitter or on Facebook and I will happily converse left, right and center. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good to know. Teacup. Anything else for our guest? I forgot to ask. You think not at the moment. Okay, then we would like to thank you. It was a great conversation. It was a great chat. It was great it fun. It really was. Thank you so much for including me in this. It was wonderful. Thank you for agreeing to chat with us. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. And we'll meet again at Book Lovers Companion.